newsflash. You cannot come out of the world because you live in the world. Now, this problem means that we need to make some decisive actions about how to guard our hearts against the influences of the culture. There are two wrong responses to this. There are some who choose legalistic separation. You can't really do that because you live in the world. And then there are others who go to the other extreme and they they love the world too much. Paul makes a plea in his letter to the Corinthians, and he appeals his appeal to them applies to us today because our temptations are similar. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. I'm glad that you are here. The title of this podcast is What Influences You the Most is What You Love the most. Time for some assessment. I have some assessment questions for you as I move farther along in this podcast. I hope that you'll hang with me. And as always, you can read everything I'm sharing with you from the Your Daily Drive podcast. And so if you want to read this, you're welcome to do that. I have a bunch of articles embedded. I have two videos here that you can watch. A lot of information if you want If you want to check it out. Otherwise, just listen. Again, the title, What Influences You the Most, is what you love the most. Let me give you an illustration of riding around in our automobile with our children. When our children ride with me, they are the passengers and I am the driver. Now that's somewhat logical, right? Or at least they did that when they were younger. Now that I have drivers now, that's not necessarily the case. But when they were kids, I was driving They were the passengers. They go where I go. I lead, and they follow along happily. All the time, they followed along happily. They were at the mercy of me, because I'm the one one that's in control of the car, which gives me total influence over them in that context. Now, this analogy is what Paul was talking about when he said this in 2 Corinthians 6.14. He said, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Third sentence, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, you know this analogy. I, I have to assume you've heard it before. Seemingly every preacher who has ever preached this text mentions something about two animals in a harness, in a yoke. One is pulling a direction, a different direction from the other. Now, the reason they say this is because that is what Paul was referring to by his analogy. Think of two oxen pulling a wagon while both of them are in a harness. When they are in the the yoke, they are one. Paul was bringing to his audience what Moses brought to his shear back in the day when he said this, quote, Deuteronomy 22.10, he said, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. The unequal yoke in this passage Whether it's Moses' passage in Deuteronomy, but I'm speaking specifically of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians, it's a picture of someone influencing someone else. 
Paul is warning the Corinthian Christians that if they do not stop and turn around from their evil, unchristian relationships, the influence of those ungodly relationships will take them where they do not want to go. The entire letter to the Corinthians is Paul's attempt to persuade this group of believers to break from evil influences. He knew the susceptible power that those influences could have over them. This reality for us is where the yoke analogy becomes beneficial. Think again about our children in the car with me. If I turn right, guess what? They go right with me. If I go into a ditch, our children go into a ditch. The same is true in the yoke analogy. Imagine an ox and a donkey, as Moses was talking about in Deuteronomy 22.10, in the harness. The, The ox is trying to move forward while the donkey is stubbornly insisting on his way. Whether it is our children or the oxen, they are under the influence of what another one is doing. Two people cannot walk together if they are not in agreement. Paul is given a stern warning to his Christian brothers about the foolishness of their choices. As he moves through the rest of this letter, he becomes even more explicit in his concern for the Corinthian Christians. He sees them being gullible as they are submitting to those who are pulling away at their faith Notice what he says later on in the letter. Here's a snippet. This is 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4. He talks about his biblical fear here. He says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough, Paul said, 2 Corinthians 11. Paul wants them to know that these people will exert influence over them if they allow them. His language could not be any stronger. He considers these people to be false apostles. This issue is a severe matter. They were promoting another gospel, and nothing stirred Paul's soul more vehemently than when someone was tinkering with the gospel. You remember what he said in Galatians 1, verses 6 to 9. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. Paul knew that there was, a, there was not another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And this was a huge deal for Paul. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you another preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, 
let him be accursed. And he, he talks in a similar way in Corinthians, as you have already heard in 2 Corinthians specifically. Paul got, he was stirred up when people were drawing his friends, his children, his brothers and sisters away from the true gospel. We must guard our hearts against taking Paul's passage to places where he did not intend. Now, what I mean is that some well-meaning Christians have interpreted this passage to say that, that you are to separate from the culture. My, this interpretation of the passage, taking that passage and saying that, Well, that is problematic because Paul was not saying that. If he were, then we would all be in a mess. It is physically, spiritually, mentally impossible to separate from the evil that is in our world. The biggest reason is that evil lurks in our hearts. Notice how and where John described sin in his letter when he said, Do not love the world. Listen listen carefully to what he's saying in 1 John 2. You know the passage, I'm sure, 14 and 15. He said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's sentence two. Here's sentence three. For all that is in the world, and then he tells us what's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. That's worldliness. John tells us not to love the things in this world And then he goes on to describe what he means. He says that the things of this world are such things as ungodly desires and pride. John's definition of worldliness is sinful desires and ego. Our egos, our pride. And he locates it in our hearts. His good friend James says something similar. As he teaches the Christians in his letter, the book of James, the dangers of being drawn away by our ungodly desires. Though we are dead to sin, yes, we are. James is well aware that we can choose to sin, and he's warning his friends about the repercussions of allowing sin to influence them. He says this in chapter 1. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is called the LSD passage. Lust brings sin, sin brings death, LSD. As you consider these passages from John and James, they talk about the desires of our hearts, you can see the impossibility of fully separating from worldliness, especially since it lurks in our hearts. We're all susceptible to the disease, this thing called sin. The issue is not about trying to do the impossible, completely separate from ungodliness, The real problem is not to let ungodliness have influence 
or control over your lives. And this is what Paul was getting at. He was not giving us an impossible mountain to climb by saying we should separate from the world. What he is saying, that we can't have worldliness influencing us, whether it's the worldliness of another individual or the worldliness in our hearts. Paul, John, and James were very concerned about how we can be influenced and controlled by evil. Some people who hold to the doctrine of separation believe that if you don't stick to their beliefs, whatever their rules are, we're talking about legalism here, you can do anything that you want. You see, They're extremists. You see how they go to the other extreme. Well, if you don't separate from the world, which always means their code of beliefs, their belief system, and of course, as you go from church to church, denomination to denomination, that within a legal, a legalistic, legalistic ego culture, uh, uh, subculture, what you'll find is that there's a different set of rules for each church or each legalistic denomination. And so, but they believe that if you don't adhere to whatever the rules are, that means you want to do anything that you want. This perspective is jumping from one ditch to the other. Christians are not supposed to live in either. You cannot separate from the world and you cannot give in to the sinful temptations of the world. There's a middle ground here, here, and it's called the gospel. The gospel is the middle of the road that we should choose to walk. We live in the world, yes, but we do not give ourselves over to the harmful influences of the world. Whether those bad influences are in our hearts or the immoral influences of others, the gospel-centered person resists both allurements from outside and inside. If you allow the doctrine of separation to define how you live your life, you may, you may have odd and mostly untenable rules. The other extreme, if you permit the doctrine of licentiousness to determine how you live, you will fall to the temptation of giving yourself over to anything that comes down the pike. Only the gospel can set the right biblical boundaries for holiness. Only the gospel can give you moral living standards. The gospel enables you to live in the world, but does not allow you to live any way you want to live. So as you humble yourself to the power of the gospel, God's grace will enable you to choose to walk in the light, and you will be able to resist the dark influences of this life. Now, these truths is why Paul was calling the Corinthians back to gospel-centered living. As he finished up his light versus dark analogies in chapter 6, you can read all of chapter 6 if you, if you want to. I, I just shared with you 6.14 where we were talking about uh, the unequal yoke uh, analogy that he was using, but as he finished up this chapter, these analogies, uh, he closed his train of thought by making a gospel appeal. He appealed to the Corinthians to choose to live holy lives because they had received the promise of the Father. He said in 7-1, this is how, he, this is how the chapter transi transitions at the end of chapter 6 to, 
to chapter 7, verse 1. He says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Paul is essentially saying, because you have the gospel, I appeal to you to cleanse yourself from every sinful thing that influences you and choose to walk in holiness. Now, this imperative is what we all can do. Though we cannot separate from the world, we can choose not to live the worldly influence or not to live or not to let rather the world influence us. Paul's challenge brings you to the most vital assessment, assessing yourself. It is easy to test yourself on this matter of what influences you. Let let me give you a test question right now. I'll give you a few more in just a moment, but here is a simple test question to see if there is something immoral or ungodly, unrighteousness, unholy that is influencing you. Here's the question. Is there something going on in your life that you do not want others to know? Now, I'm not saying that you should put it on Facebook. I'm not saying you should tweet it out. You should blab it on your social media platform. You should tell everybody in the world. But is there something going on in your life that you don't want somebody in particular to know? Now, how you answer that question will tell you quickly as to whether you have ungodly influences in your life. And don't move too fast here. Think about it. Let me repeat it. Is there something going on in your life that you do not want others to know? Stop. Think. What's your gut answer to that question? What was the first thing that popped into your mind? Another way you can test yourself is by assessing the people and the things that you allow to influence you. All right, here's some more sample questions that can help you examine what tugs at your heart the most? Are you you ready? We're going to man up. We're going to woman up right now. We're going to answer these questions because you want to know, because you're humble and you want to walk in holiness. You don't want to live legalistically, unrealistically, thinking you can separate from the world, but you don't want to just jump in, drink it all, and just do whatever do what everybody else is doing. All right, here's some questions. What is your heart generally drawn to daily and weekly? Now, maybe you want to slow down here. Perhaps you want to get this article from our website so you can print it off. The title, What Influences You the Most is What You Love the Most. Go to the bottom of the article, and there's a print button, and you can print it off. Turn it into a PDF if you wish so that you can really reflect on these questions. I ask, what is your heart generally drawn to daily and weekly? Daily could be an episode, might not mean a whole lot. Weekly, you're going to start seeing a pattern in your life. Number two, what kind of people are you generally drawn to for spending time? Put your name in the center of a piece of paper and draw your friends, the ones that you like the most, the ones you enjoy the most, the ones that you want to spend most time with, put their names around you, and those would be the ones who have the most influence in your life. Not just they have the most influence, but it will tell you a lot about you. Number three, when you have nothing to do, what do you do? 
Uh, I know some of you will be thinking about teenagers now that they gravitate toward senseless things, but, you know, be careful. You were a teenager once upon a time. I mean, they're not going to be super wise and super mature and more holy than you. It can definitely be a problem, but what about if we think about ourselves? When you have nothing to do, what do you do? When you have nothing to think about, what do you think? Question number five, what is the spiritual depth of your circle of friends? Go back to your name on a piece of paper and five, six, seven acquaintances circling you. What is the spiritual depth of those friends? Number six, what is the spiritual depth of your favorite media materials? For those of you who spent a lot of time on Facebook, I'll answer that question for you. Stop doing that. I know, I know there's grandmas on Facebook, and you can talk to grandma. I get it, but you also know better than that, too. You spend way too much time on that nonsense. Our Facebook account is a unidirectional account. We do not spend time on it at all unless we are putting material out there. That's why we don't answer questions on Facebook. We don't interact with people on Facebook. Now, I realize I'm in a different place as well. I have people that can do that for me. Praise God. But the question is, what is the spiritual depth of your favorite media materials? Next question, what kinds of activities generally draw you? Are they self-serving activities or other serving activities? The two great commandments, love God, love others more than yourself. Three more questions and we'll be done here. Describe your passion for God. Next, describe the practical influence that God has over your life. The operative word here is practical, functional. What practical influence? How is God impacting you? The way you spend your money, the way that you communicate, the places that you go, the people you hang with, things that you do, practical influence that God has over your life. And then finally, who are your primary teachers? The Bible, passionate Christians, those are two good choices. Parachurch organization like this one, that's a great choice. What about sports, culture, movies, worldly people, etc. Who are your primary teachers? Because none of us are objective, perhaps it would serve you well to share your thoughts with a trusted and courageous friend. You need both of those. They're not going to share your junk to somebody else, and they have the courage to speak the truth and love. It would also make an excellent small group conversation if your group was at that maturity level. I know many aren't, but some are, and maybe, you, maybe you're one of the lucky ones, and, and you can be in that group, and you could have this conversation. It would be amazing. It would be a beneficial leadership opportunity for you to examine if you are a leader or not. Biblical leaders are teachable. They always want to learn, change, grow. So how did you do with those questions that I was asking you? Let me give you a few examples of how you can think about your answers. Let's say, for example, your closest friends are people who are unhappily married. Be careful. You're going to be unhappily married if you're not careful. If that is your sphere, is that if that is your primary sphere of influence, if, if your primary sphere of influence is unhappy people, well, the chances of you being unhappy was well, a lot stronger. 
How about this? If your closest friends are more interested in partying and playing, they will be controlling a big controlling influence in your life. Number three, if your closest friends are more interested in shopping than walking in holiness, you'll not be as involved in righteousness as you should. And then number four, if your primary media input is not bibliocentric, your heart will grow distant from God and cold toward others. Don't think you're impervious to the world. If you do, if that's how you think, and that this is not a big deal, and that you're you're not influenced and can't be influenced, well, then the influence is already too strong in your life. The temptation for today's Christian is not to deny God outright. That's the way most Christians aren't like that. We're not going to deny God outright. But what Paul was reacting to, that that's what Paul was reacting to in the New Testament. Now, today's Christian is different. We adhere to more of a hybrid, sanctified covetousness. In the art world, they call it 18% gray. The place that is somewhere between black and white, I call it sanctified covetousness, putting two, one good word, one bad word together. We want Jesus, but we also desire social acceptance and social affluence. We want Jesus, and we want to live in the right home, the right house. We want to drive the right car. We want to hang with the right people. We want to wear the right clothes. These are the things that influence too many Christians today. You cannot be yoked to Jesus and something else if you expect a rest for your soul. Unfortunately, that, has, that is how too many people come to counseling because they have a sancti- they're Christians and they have a sanctified covetousness. They want Jesus and they've just been hanging and influenced a little bit too much by the world. So the question is, who is in your yoke with you? Look to your right and see who is in the yoke with you. Maybe go back to that piece of paper and see who is surrounding you. You could do the same thing with that piece of paper. Put you in the middle and put your media preferences, the things that you listen to and the things that you watch. Not people per se, not real people in your real world, but media people, music, news, whatever it may be, preachers parachurch organization, ministry leaders. Is it Jesus or some donkey from the world? You can't have both. There are only two spots in the yoke, and one of those spots belongs to you. And so it's your choice as to who you want in your yoke. If you are a Christian, my appeal to you is similar to Paul's. Let Christ be in the yoke with you. And I pray that he... I pray that he will be your yoke fellow rather than being a co-pilot. You don't want God as your co-pilot. You want God piloting that plane. And because you have these promises, I appeal to you to make a clean break from anything that is not Christ-like and cling to Christ alone. If you make a break from the things that are defiling you, then you will be able to bring holiness to completion. You remember, I shared that verse with you earlier. Since we have these promises, Paul said, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. You have to decide as to whether you want to come out of the nonsense, the secrecy, the addiction, the darkness, the bad influences 
of your life. Now, I'm not assuming you're under the spell of any lousy influence. I'm not your judge. I'm not your critic. That's not who I, who I am. But, but I do know that some believers are struggling this way. I'm a realist. I, I live realistically, and I know that some do. Everyone, all of us do not, but some do. And if that is you, the big question, will you take Paul's message to heart? One final question, in what way do you need to change after listening to this article? My appeal to you is that you will take time to study it. I have, if, if you want to pull this article out, and I highly encourage you to do that, I do have verses scattered throughout the article that you can, all you have to do on our website, if you hover over the verse with your cursor, it will pop up in a box, and you can read those verses right from the article. If you want to print it off, as I said earlier, you can go to the bottom. There's a nice little button down there, and you can click on it, and it'll take you uh, to the place where you need, uh, where you uh, can print it off. You can put it in a PDF, and that way you can save it and use it and share it and pass it out to your uh, small group friends or some other person and say, hey, let's, we need to talk about this. And you can talk in so many kinds of ways these days. Just jump on uh, FaceTime, Skype, Zoom, uh, however you need to do that to meet with someone. Also, I would encourage you that if you're really serious about change, I want you to get my book, Change Me, The Ultimate Life Change Handbook. That book, it really walks through the change process from beginning to end, and many people have benefited from it. Perhaps you would too. Again, the title of the podcast and the article, What Influences You the Most is What You Love the Most. If you want to talk about it, jump on our free forums on our website. We'll be waiting for you. Thanks for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net. Rick Thomas.net.